H5G Brands is a proud sponsor of Above180.com. H5G has thousands of designs to choose from and no hidden artwork fees. How awesome is that? Show your individuality and have your jersey tell your story. Order online at www.h5gbrands.com. Don't let fashion pass you by. Add H5G into your wardrobe and show off your individuality. Use code ABOVE180 at checkout for $20 off any H5G style. Thank you to all of our supporters and our fans. We appreciate it. Bowling This Month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at BowlingThisMonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. This is Chris Barnes, and you're listening to the Above180.com podcast with Tim Berg. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me in the Above180.com podcast is Ron Hatfield. Ron is a USBC Gold Certified Coach. He's also the author of the book, Bowling Beyond the Basics. Ron bowled collegiately at Ohio State University and has competed in 32 USBC Open Championships, which is actually where I'm catching up with Ron. So, Ron, it's Tim Berg here. Thank you for joining me today. Sure thing. So we're catching up right after, right? I'm, I bowled open championships, all nine games. You're getting ready for your singles right. and doubles event tonight. Right. Let's talk about tournament preparation, generally speaking, for the, the listener out there. Sure. When it comes to things, what are some things? First off, let's, let's begin with some mistakes maybe that people make when they're preparing for these, either, even if it's city, state, but even on the national stage, uh, USBC open championships. Yeah, I think. A lot of people either over-prepare or even under-prepare. Over-preparing is over-practicing, you know, too long of sessions, wearing the body out. And a lot of times they only work on physical gain. They want to be perfect because we're our own worst critic. So I see a lot of bowlers just trying to make that perfect execution when they really need to look at the whole package of, of being a bowler and being competitive in these tough environments and what that means. So you have to be honest with yourself and you have to analyze what are my weaknesses so is it lane play is it equipment knowledge is it physical game is it mental game is it spare shooting is it versatility and whatever area you're weakest in that's what you need to work on because you want to have everything ready to go i always use the phrase it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it and if you don't have all of those areas really well covered you're going to come across a situation where you need something and you're going to be like, oh, I should have practiced that. So, you know, sometimes people over-practice only one thing, getting better at their execution. At some point, you've got to say good is good enough. And then you've got to work on getting better at all the other areas that make the great bowlers. And then what are some things, I guess, regarding um, when you talk about over-preparing, 
and how do we stop ourselves from overthinking? We talk about the mental yeah, game of yeah. things. We all, we all are, like you said, we're all our own worst critics, right. and we overthink things. How, how do you, how do you, what's a way we can maybe not do that quite as much? Because I don't think we're ever going to stop doing that. We're all still human. Right. Overthinking in practice is okay to a point, as long as you're trying to get better and better and you're striving for whatever that perfect model is that doesn't exist in practice. And then I think conferring with either a coach or a trusted teammate to get a more objective opinion. You know, do I really feel or look as bad as I think? Or, you know, get someone that you trust that can say, you know what, you're really overthinking this. This is good enough. Let's work on something else. Or you need to work on something else. Now, when you get to competition, overthinking's got to stop. So it's best to keep your thoughts and practice trainings on the approach side of the foul line try to work through whatever physical kinks you still may have but when you're in competition you've got to forget about everything leading up to the foul line and your focus has to be on the lane your target your ball path your ball motion if you limit your thoughts to just that in competition and you let your body just do what you've trained it to do you're going to do a lot better but if you try to balance and, and manage both I don't like the chances. There's also been the thought, and we were talking, you know, before you guys had a game plan, your team uh, did very well. You guys had both of your teams, your 10 guys, you guys had a game plan coming in and the way you played them. Is that something that, um, you know, because you only get how many shots probably in, in practice, if you're, if you're really counting, you maybe get four or five, six. So there's a lot of times at the open championships we're talking here. It's a challenge just to get loosened up. And now you're trying to work on targeting, work on ball reaction, work on everything. What are just, what's maybe one thing that people need to work on before the lights come on in a tournament setting like this where you got 10 guys? Like I said, you probably get five shots at the most, maybe six if you're lucky. You know, I, I could come up with a lot of answers for that one thing, but I guess the one that I go back to is spares. I know it's always talked about, and I know people get tired of hearing about it, but this this is a tough shot here, and you're not going to strike as much as your league shot. You might. I mean, if you're really having a good day and you're lined up, but that's few and far between. So you're going to shoot a lot of spares. If your spare game is sharp, you're going to leave here happy, and, and that's going to be the one thing that will save you from having those disastrous games. So I think that's the one thing people should really focus on. Accuracy, of course, but that involves a lot of things. Physical game, timing, swing, posture, eye targeting, alignment. But there's a lot to that. But if you can really feel good about your spares with a plastic spare ball, and I know there's a lot of people out there that don't agree with that, but I'm telling you, there is no ball more important than your bowling bag than a plastic spare ball. And it is... It is a tried and true method to shoot spares, and I really hope people will think twice about leaving their spare ball at home and traveling with more strike balls because they feel like they need those options. You, you know what? If you've got five, four or five different strike balls, and you can play a little bit, you know, the lane and your accuracy is pretty good. I think that's enough. That spare ball is going to save you from leaving too many opens if your ball's hooking past spares. And um, let's, I guess, along those same lines. Say someone is completely lost. The advice I was always told, if you're completely lost, take a ball you're most comfortable with, use that ball at a tournament like this, and just hope you leave yourself makeables that you can make with your spares. Is that how you would describe things too? Well, either that or even the ball that you don't think will work. You know, a lot of times people will actually not even try a ball in the practice session because they see another ball do something and they automatically assume, well, I know what this other ball does, it will not work. 
and, and that changes tournament by tournament where your balls kind of interact with each other in your arsenal changes so i would even say you know what you got nothing to lose maybe even try a ball part of the lane that you think won't work or watch someone around you who is doing well and if it's way different than what you're doing what do you got to lose try that because at this point you know you've got to hit the head pin make spares in fact in this doubles and singles pattern which is not playing easy the pocket is not just the 17 and a half board it is anywhere right or left of the head pin where you can hit the head pin you know if you get a brooklyn or you know you get a, a light strike that caves a two pin if you're right-handed who cares take it you know you, you don't don't be picky here in some tournaments you got to take what you can get and be happy with it and then after we finished our competition we had this discussion on the on the long drive back to phoenix how um how do you reflect on things do you go back and look at it or do you not even oh uh how do you how do you advise people to handle that yeah no it's the way i do it too you have to reflect if you want to get better you've got to learn from every experience no matter how well you do if you finish last you finish first you can always learn more so the first thing i do is what did i do well you know build yourself up we, we always i think tear ourselves down too much you know again we're our own worst critic and i think we tear ourselves down way too much you've got to reflect on things you did well that way you feel confident with that. You're going to continue doing those things. But then you got to think about not not what did I do wrong, what could I have done better. It's, it's semantics, but it really does matter. You know, it, it doesn't sound good when you say what did I do wrong. What could I have done better? What can I learn from this experience? If you finish first or last, there's still things to learn. So if you really are critical and honest with yourself on things you can learn from that particular tournament, then that becomes the motivation and the subject matter for the next practice session. All right, Ron, let's move on. This is one of the things I've had emailed to me from time to time, and, and I figured you'd be a great person to bring it up. It's, it's the whole when to lower or upper raising when it comes to weights and equipment. 16 versus 15 versus 14. We've seen a lot of guys on tour try the 14s. Some of them are already going back to 15s or 16s. What's, what's your advice on that? Again, let's, let's take the people that have health issues and maybe are a little advanced in age out of that equation. It's just, this is more just, a, a, let's say, a personal preference or they're wanting to try something different. Yeah, it's funny you bring this up because I teach a lot of the USBC bronze and silver classes. And I always tell people at some point during the, the class, you know, next Wednesday, you know, after this class, you may not remember who Ron Hatfield is but you'll remember what he really likes in this sport, and that's ball speed. Ball speed, by the laws of science and physics, is what knocks pins down. So kinetic energy, laws of physics, if you throw a lighter object faster, you create more energy. You create more pin carry. And so I have been on a mission the last, oh, eight, nine years. Um, uh, the book that I wrote with James Freeman we, it came out actually five years ago this coming Saturday. And uh, we talk a lot about the science of ball weight and speed. And while we were writing the book and researching and doing all the experiments and all that, you know, I started realizing most bowlers are throwing a ball that's too heavy because of the old belief that heavier carries more strikes. And if a heavier ball is thrown slower, that is scientifically and factually wrong. So I'm always tending to get people to either stay where they are or maybe consider lowering there are a few cases where people need to go up sure you know kids getting bigger um adults who haven't maybe gone up to the appropriate weight weight but it's few and far between most people have gone down in fact i would estimate that i have probably convinced for various reasons in the last eight years oh gosh probably seven eight hundred people to drop all weight either 16 to 15 15 to 14 14 to 13 and i haven't talked 
a minimal amount of them who have ever gone back. So yeah, it's it's the vast majority of those that have gone down have never gone back. And the reasons are, are many. Um, it's easier to throw. It's one pound less stress on your body every time you throw it. More natural ball speed. More ability to manipulate manipulate your hand and do what you want to do at the bottom of the swing. There are no downsides. The only downside is the cost, you know, in going from a six ball, fifteen pound arsenal to a six ball, fourteen pound arsenal. But you don't have to do it overnight. You do it gradually. But I'm a big, big proponent of if you're deciding between two weights, go with the lighter one. I, I almost 99% guarantee you will not regret it. Um, a lot of the guys on my group here are 14. Um, it, it's it's a really good decision. I went to 14 three years ago, and I wish I would have done it 23 years ago. So you can, you mentioned one thing intrigues me there. You said you can, you don't have to do it all at one time. So going from 15 to 14 isn't going to mess up swing timing, anything of that sort? It, it can. I mean, I can't say that that's impossible. Ideally, I'd love for everybody to have enough money to just do it all at once, but that's not reality. Um, so there is going to be a transition period where there might be some differences in how you feel with your game between the two weights. So it's not ideal, but the transition is worth the end result. And it sounds like, to me, people always think, well, I'm going to lose that hitting power. No, you get more. You get more because you get, you get more. more speed and you you add other aspects of your game. Absolutely. Look up the, the laws of uh, kinetic energy. You know, Kinetic energy is pin carry. The mass is the ball weight. And the velocity is the ball speed, and the velocity is squared in that equation. And so when you throw a lighter object faster, and like I said, most of the people that I've switched, the biggest thing they talk about is the speed and pin carry. With no extra effort, more speed, more pin carry, and all the other benefits go along with it. So it's it's a big decision to make, and I know it's hard to wrap your head around it sometimes, but if you try it, I don't think you'll be disappointed. So let's move on um, regarding coaching. Sure. I myself have done lessons. A lot of people listening have done lessons or listening because they want want to get better and improve their game. Realistically, where where or how much can we expect to gain or what should our expectations be when we take a lesson? And then that's from the, the bowling side of things. Now, you also mentioned that you do coaching coaches. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you help the coaches to help not have people's expectations for their, you know, their clients or customers, their, um, the, their students be too high and then they leave not happy or disappointed so i have a lot of questions for students when i first start working with them what are your goals what do you want to do how much are you going to practice that's a big one you know how many times a week are you realistically you want to tell me that you're going to practice because if it's once a week then you know we're going to take a while to do this if you're going to practice three four or five days a week and you're going to do it the right way no score you're actually practicing you're not bowling for score you're working on one thing at a time you're not trying to multitask then we can make improvement steadily and with exaggeration, which I think is the best way to make change. And a lot of sports have proven that in their sports too, where if you, you know, instead of doing a drill or instead of um, having them think about doing the desired result, you actually extend that thought to a crazy exaggeration. Uh, for instance, if they're pushing the ball to the right and the ball start needs to go straight, you have them think about pushing two lanes left. You exaggerate the opposite way. That change is literally usually within five shots. And I'll usually video the first shot, and we'll see the change immediately. Even though the bowler feels like they did the exaggeration, they'll see the actual reality of the change. And then it's just a matter of trusting that exaggeration for you know hundreds of repetitions. And, and that change can be pretty quick, relatively speaking. So if they stick to that exaggeration one thing at a time, and they practice more than once a week, 
they can make some changes pretty quickly. And regarding muscle memory, that's a thing too that it takes us. We have we've all built in our own bad habits. How, how shots again to get rid of that muscle memory, or are you saying it can be pretty pretty quick? Well, you know, it, and muscle memory is an interesting term. It's really not muscle memory. It's retraining the brain. Um, but again. I don't think it takes thousands of repetitions. I think based on the bowler, how athletic they are, how much they've done in the sports, there's a lot of variables that go into it. I've seen positive change that was sustainable within a couple of hundred repetitions. Sometimes it might take four or 500. But over the course of a couple of weeks, four to five practices a week, that number can be attained. But they gotta stay, they gotta stay to the goal. And, and I usually tell bowlers this, if every practice you have is fun, you're doing it wrong. You know, if you're going to make change and you're going to get better, practices sometimes need to be frustrating. They need to be monotonous. They need to get boring. And if you do that, you're doing it right because that means you're trying to drill that one thing in over and over until it is built into you. But if every practice is fun and easy, you're not doing it right. Moving on, you, you did coaching and consulting overseas. I'd love to share, have you share some of your experiences because you, you got so much that you can can share. What are some memories you have of, of the teams you've coached and, and uh, in your consulting work? Yeah, I did that for 10 years. Um, I was overseas more than I was here in this country, and it was 10 of the best years of my life. Uh, I, first thing I got to th- uh, talk about is Ukraine. I was head coach of them for seven years. Nicest people in the world treated me fantastically. Great to work with. Um, great people. Great place. Um, so I'm, I'm very uh, heartbroken over what's happening right now. But they were just so amazing to work with. And one of the best memories um, in competition was with a bowler named Misha Kalika. He was one of the best players on my men's team. And we were in South Africa for the World Cup. And he was having a really good tournament. And it came down to the position round to get into the final three TV show. And Tommy Jones from America and Jason Belmonte from Australia had already made it to the TV show. So we were fighting for that third spot. And that bowler was going to go against Belmonte in the semifinal. And um, I'll never forget it. Uh, We were on this pair of lanes. And it was the eighth game. And they were burn up. And second, fourth, sixth, and eighth frame, Misha did not hit the right side of the head pin. And we had the 10th frame on that lane. And he had to double. The guy didn't strike out, so he left us a chance, and he had to double. And I went over and talked to him. I said, hey, remember this training we did in New Jersey last month, and we worked on this and this, versatility, worked on tilt and speed. I said, give me all the tilt, all the speed you got, and we're going to the finals. And he threw those two shots, and it was 10 back, 10 back. And then he threw a great left to 10 pin, but that shot didn't matter. And he went to the finals. And it was the first time at that time, that was in 2011, first time anyone from Eastern Europe had made the top eight in the World Cup, let alone the TV show, top three. And uh, it was best two out of three. And we took Belmonte to the third game, and he got us in the third game. But it was just an amazing experience for him to get that far. You mentioned Jason, and I'd love for you to share how his game, have you seen it from, from then? Because we're talking, what, 2010, 2011? Yeah, so, so back before, you know, I'm trying to think, go back in my, my head and think of his tour days. But, but it's still, he wasn't where he is now, what he's, he hasn't accomplished then, what he did now. Were you able to see that in him that, that at that time, that if he did X or if he did, he was there already or he, he had the it factor that you see in bowlers? Oh, yeah, he was already there. He, you know, he has worked and still works so hard on his game. You know, it, 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 
it's not just a gift. He has worked. You know, the best athletes in every sport, they, they work. They're the hardest workers. They're there first thing. They're there the latest, and Jason's one of those guys. And he's a great guy. In fact, at that tournament, um, in that final match, uh, everyone else was done. We were still bowling. And some people in the stands were being loud, right? And this was you know, a pretty important match. And I'll never forget, Jason went back and asked the people to keep it down. You know, this is very important. So he's a really class act, really nice guy. But he had the it factor then. He was just, he, he's, he's phenomenal. I mean, he's going to continue to dominate for a long time. And he's such a good ambassador for the sport. So I, I think sometimes people get a bad rap. You know, I think athletes in every sport sometimes get a bad rap. Jason doesn't deserve it. He's a great guy. And you mentioned something there, too, that we don't always think about or, or we want to right away dismiss mm-hmm. all the work that yeah. bowlers and all the work that any great athlete puts into their game. Yeah, he. there's a lot of guys out there that work really hard, and there's some guys that don't. You know, that's their, their choice. Um, but, you know, he he is one of the hardest workers, and, you know, I worked with Ryan O'Page for a long time on tour. Uh, I've known him since he was on Junior Team USA and I was coaching with Junior Team USA and Rhino worked hard. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. In fact, after he won his first title, uh, I was in Washington flying to Europe and we were talking. He was all excited. I said, man, I'm so happy for you. I said, but guess what? I said, now, um, are you ready to work harder than you've ever worked before? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you won your first title. You want to win more? He said, well, yeah. I said, well, then you and I are going to work harder on your game than we have ever worked before. He's like, why? Like, do you think this is going to be easy for you to repeat, to win more titles? I think he needed to hear that. And then it, it sunk in. Then he got it. And by the way, Rhino has turned into an excellent coach. So for anybody that's in the Montana area uh, where he is now, uh, he is a great coach. And uh, he's gone through all the trainings, not just because he's a good bowler. He had to go through the trainings, and he's a really good coach now. But a lot of the guys out there work hard, and Rhino and Jason are, are two of them. All right. That's funny you say that. Um, that are good. Do you have to, loaded question kind of, but do you have to be a good bowler to be a good coach? Absolutely not. No, and the opposite is true also. Just because you're a good bowler doesn't make you a good coach. But that's true for any sport. You know, and, and Rhino wanted to coach, and he thought he was ready. And I said, you're not ready. He said, but I'm a PBA player. I said, I don't care. You're going to get trained. You're going to go and you're going to work with me and you're going to you know, work clinics with me and you're going, to, you're going to learn how to do this. And he bought into that and he has become, honestly, one of the best coaches, I think, in the country. He's really, really good. But he, he learned quickly that he couldn't just take his talent for granted and ride those coattails. He had to learn how to coach. But no, you don't have to be a good bowler to coach. If you get the right training and you put the time in, you can be an average one-night-a-week one league bowler and be a fantastic coach. You just have to put the time in. You know, we're sitting here, and I'm looking right there at this wall of fame, and we're, it's ironic that we're sitting right in front of Fred Borden. And if it weren't for Fred Borden, I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. I wouldn't be doing anything that I'm doing right now. He's the entire – he and Jerry Edwards. i, I got to give Jerry Edwards just as much credit. Um, the two of them were my mentors, and without them, I wouldn't be doing this. But it's so funny that we chose this place we, we, to yeah, sit. We picked I mean, we just randomly sat here, and we're sitting right in front of Fred Borden. It's just – that's perfect. Exactly. Yeah. What what a great, by the way, the International, the, the Satellite Museum here is something if all, I, I, all bowlers should check out, oh, honestly. Absolutely. There's a lot of great stuff, a lot of great uh, 
memories and history of our sport here. Yeah. Also, before we go from the Open Championships, a quick reminder, check out BowlingThisMonth.com, bowling's best and most comprehensive technical resource, all at your fingertips. I had a chance myself to head over and see Rick and Gail Ramsey, who run the BTM tournament uh, in conjunction with the Open Championships over at Coconut Bowl, a great tournament and a great uh, great to see some some old friends Rick and Gail, they're running that tournament, so check out the tournament, check out the website, everything you need. Your ball reviews, of course, down your left-hand side. All of it available for less than a cup of coffee a day. Again, check out BowlingThisMonth.com. Also great articles up there. Everything you need, again, all at your fingertips, BowlingThisMonth.com. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention another great sponsor, H5GBrands.com. Seeing lots of folks wearing their H5G jersey, including myself here, looking sharp on the lanes, bowling the Open Championships. Again, no hidden artwork fees, team jerseys, custom apparel accessories, your PBA replica jerseys. If you're looking for those, check everything out. And if you're looking to order a jersey, use promo code ABOVE180. That will get you $20 off your order. Promo code ABOVE180. They walk you through the process of designing that jersey. No hidden artwork fee, thousands of designs to choose from. A great process, a great team to work with. Again, they can help you show your individuality on and off the lanes. So again, check out h5gbrands.com. Make sure you use that promo code ABOVE180 as that will get you $20 off your order. Again, h5gbrands.com. Final question I always like to, uh, from from the pro shop side of things, this is something that I hear from bowlers time to time. All this new equipment keeps coming out. You know, we just had it this summer again with, with the Bowl Expo and the rearview mirror. Um, all this new equipment comes out. If you're your regular league bowler listening to this, I'm going to say how much do they pay attention to that, but where should they be looking when they hear, oh, this company has a new piece coming out or that company has a new piece coming out? It's a lot. There's a lot of equipment out there, and it comes out all the time. And it can be overwhelming. I own two pro shops, and you know, stocking everything that is out there is virtually impossible. And it's hard to keep up with it. But for bowlers that are looking to add a piece to their arsenal, I'm on Storm Staff, so I have the ability to have the new balls before they're available to the public, but I don't get them. I don't get them then. I, I don't want to suggest a ball to a client of mine, or I don't want to get a ball for myself until I see it go down the lane. Until I know what it's going to do in a variety of styles' hands, I don't want to suggest that to somebody. Just because of what it's supposed to do doesn't mean it's going to do that. So I never get anything till it's out for two to three months for my own game. And then as I learn more about it, then I feel more comfortable suggesting it. So what I would suggest to bowlers is do the research, watch the ball go down the lane in other people's hands. And not just because someone makes it look good doesn't mean it's right for you. You've got to make sure that it fills a gap in your arsenal. Talk to your pro shot professional. Talk to your coach. Does that ball actually have a place in your arsenal? And if not, let's find something else that does. You need variety. That's the biggest problem is that people have too many of the same thing. It's like if you go out to the yard to do some yard work, are you going to take five rakes or are you going to take five different tools? You need different tools. So you got to make sure you get all the different variety of equipment, the RGs and the differentials and the cover stocks. So if you don't know a lot about that, talk to a coach or a pro shot professional who can help you make the right decision for you and not just because a league bowler shot 300 with it. Our final question, Ron, we could go on forever, but I know you have, you have an event to bowl. Um, you, you mentioned it there, surface adjustments and changes. That's something that I think bowlers 
dismiss or forget about or, or not comfortable with doing, what, what can you say to, to maybe help someone and change someone's mind to make them or, or help them to be a little bit more at ease when they change the surface? I feel like bowlers sometimes will think, well, if I change the surface on this shiny ball, to put it at a thousand. It's never going to come back to that. But what can you say to someone to, to do to maybe try? Because you might get a completely different reaction and you might love it. You will get a completely different reaction and likely love it. You know, one of the other things I coach the coaches is that there's very few exceptions to the rule that you can change surface in practice until the first ball is thrown for score. There's only a couple of exceptions to that. Very few people take advantage of it. It needs to be done more. It's a final tweaking. I always pose the question, all right, let's say you bring in two three-ball bags, five strike balls and a spare ball, and you're going into a place you've never been before, you don't know the pattern, what's the chances that those five balls are perfectly matched up the way they are to the lanes? Zero. You have to change something. Maybe not all five, but you've got to change something. And if you don't change it, you're you're leaving a lot of pins out there. And if you change it, it's a guess. Yeah, I, I'll give you that. It's a guess. Everything we do in this sport is a guess. But it's better than doing nothing at all. So I would take a practice session. And, and by the way, if you do change a ball, you can get it back to what it was or close enough. And you're not going to damage a ball. Funny story, the first time I went to Ukraine, I was doing a clinic for their team and some other people. And I was talking about surface changes. And the secretary of the Federation, who was a translator, was translating for me. And she had done my entire presentation in Russian so they could understand it better. And so to demonstrate, I took one of the balls off the rack and I started changing the surface. And the look of horror on everybody's faces, like I, I was shocked. So I stopped. I, I asked her, I said, what's wrong? And she asked them. And they said that you just ruined her ball. Like, the person who was there before me had told them that changing the surface ruins bowling balls. Oh, it took me three visits before I could convince them otherwise. And then once they were convinced, then they were into it, and they would change them at tournaments. But do a practice session where all you do is surface changes and watch how much difference there is in the distance of your bowling ball before it hooks. It doesn't change how much a ball hooks. It changes when it hooks. And if you see that in practice, you're more likely to trust doing it in a tournament or even in league. I, I change surfaces on, on balls before my weekly league back home. And if you do that, you're going to be much more prepared for the environment at that time. So you can't lose. And the only two rules are do it before the first ball is thrown for competition and cover the entire ball. That's it. You can't mess it up. So please take advantage of that rule in most situations. There are a couple exceptions, junior gold and college tier one and postseason tournaments do not allow that. But everything else, as far as I know, at this point, you can. So, yeah, practice it so you feel more confident with it. Ron Hatfield, again, Ron Hatfield, want to thank you for joining me today. We, like I said, we could go on for on. I, I just tons of questions, but <laughs> I, I appreciate this. Certainly going to have to do this again, and so. and um, and all the best of luck moving forward on the lanes as you're getting ready to shoe up here, and then even moving forward with your coaching and your pro shops. And where can people go to find out more information if they're interested in coaching or the book? Yeah, so the book is Bowling Beyond the Basics, and that can be found on Amazon. Uh, my website is rkhcoaching.com. I do have an RKH Coaching Facebook page. So if you want to visit any of those, I'd appreciate it or get the book. We'd really appreciate that. We think it's, you know, I really don't, people who know me know that I really don't like talking about myself. I'm, I'm, I try to be as modest as possible. I, I don't, I don't want to be anything other than that. But I will say with as much modesty as possible, we are very proud of this book. James Freeman and I, we really feel like we hit a home run with this book because we address topics that have never been addressed before. And it, it dispels a lot of myth in our sport. 
and it proves a lot of things that we've heard. But it's a really good book for the non-beginner. Coaches benefit from it. Um, so we'd appreciate it if you took a look at that. But, yeah, please reach out to me if you have any questions. And, Tim, I, I hope we can do this again. I really enjoy this, and I appreciate you having me. Thank you, Ron. Thank you very much.